0: Hi, and welcome back to the Mission-Minded Podcast. I'm Jim Tingler, co-host with John Spin today. Hey, John. Hey, Jim. So we just wrapped up a podcast with Doug Harrison.
1: That's correct.
0: MAF. Is he a pilot?
1: He is not a pilot. Contrary to common belief, not everybody at MAF is a pilot.
0: Yeah, there's a, a lot that it takes behind the scenes to make an operation happen. So. Absolutely. Just like at iTech, we've got a lot of people running the behind the scenes, making things happen. That's so. true. So Good stuff. Each week, we have had uh, several things that we've done. One of them is the mission quote of the week. John, did you come prepared with a mission quote well, today? Well, we
1: have one for today, and this comes from the famous missionary pioneer, William Carey, and he said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter, and we've heard more, maybe more modern people like Bob Goff kind of take this quote as well and run with it, but... You're going to hear today, you know, talk about theory of change and, um, making sure that we are not just doing, going
0: you know, through the motions. We're a
1: very, you know, the Western culture, we're very much about doing things, right. but making sure that we're doing the right things. Right. So i right. are going to hear some of that today in the podcast.
0: That's good. It, it was a great conversation. And, uh, every time I've talked with Doug, I'm challenged in ways he's, he's very well spoken.
1: Yes. So
0: um, I think that the listeners will appreciate the way he's just trying to be intentional and uh, in working through um, a nonprofit, you know, world. I, I think the application can go into to many areas, whether it be ministry in a church, working at a nonprofit, and some of the challenge for those that are just trying to figure out, okay, what role do I now play as things are continuing to change so much around the world? So, mm-hmm one of the things that stood out to me was just kind of reimagining the way that we work with our international partners. There's, there's not a head of the table. It's more of the round table. Mm-hmm. So working in cooperation and really bringing that servant mindset.
1: And I think that's an important thing of it's easy to see a problem as an outsider. And here's your, here's your problem. And I'm here to offer you a solution, but really making sure that, you know, again, going back to the history of Vitek, Steve St. Listening to the Wow you know, that, Steve Saint's solution to the Wild Wildani's problems of whether there's missionaries who can do these things for you. And if you really listen to the Wildani, know that we don't want missionaries. We, we want you to teach us these things. Right. And so I think that's the importance of listening to the partner, making sure that we're not just bringing in our, what we think is the best solution, but we really listen to them to figure out what their problems are and really what, what, try to help them uh, walk alongside them and coming up with a solution. Yeah.
0: I mean, culturally, there's so many things that, that we bring in to a, another context. Uh, the U.S. Uh, North American church, you know, we have a fix it, get it done mentality. And that can be very dangerous when you take that to an overseas context.
1: That may not appreciate or value that.
0: Right. <laughs> and one thing I've appreciated about you, John, is that you always try to expose other people uh, to to different cultures and contexts. And so, it was a few years ago, I was just recalling a story of you having uh, some visitors here from Ecuador and uh where where else? Where? Bolivia. Bolivia, that's right. <laughs> and you wanted to give them an American cultural experience for uh going to a restaurant. Where where did you take them?
1: Well, we took them to took them to Golden Corral. Wow. True 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 American experience.
0: So what what was their impression of the Golden Corral? <laughs>
1: They couldn't quite get over that you could go back for more food. That, 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 was, that, that was a unique It uh, never concept.
0: ends. It never ends.
1: <laughs> well. <laughs> uh.
0: Yeah, that's a cultural experience over there. <laughs> Golden Corral. <laughs> Indeed. So, well, we, we better move on. But But before we do, we want to encourage our listeners, if they haven't done this, and John, I'm going to ask you if you've done it. I've done it and that is go and rate the podcast.
1: I have not done that, Jim.
0: I don't know if that's a good thing for me to go and rate our podcast, but I'm going to encourage you to do it, and I'm going to encourage the listeners to rate the podcast. I would recommend five stars. But <laughs> might
1: be a little biased, Jim, but uh, sure.
0: Okay, well, well, we'll take whatever honest feedback, and uh, we'll try to improve from there. Okay. But not only that, if you have somebody that you think would be a great uh, interview a guest on the show, we'd love to hear that. So whether you're on YouTube today, whether you're listening through the Spotify, iTunes, whatever platform we're on, I'm not even sure what all of them we're on. But if you're on there, go and, and rate the podcast and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear it. All right. all right. Well, hope you enjoy this episode of the Mission Minded Podcast.
2: Welcome to Mission Minded a podcast where we explore outside-the-box thinking in carrying out Christ's Great Commission. On this week's episode, we are joined by Doug Harrison. Our sponsor for today's podcast is Dignity Roasters Coffee, locally roasted and packaged by the distressed to fuel each day. Dignity Roasters was born through a passion to partner with the distressed and the desire of bringing the universally loved beverage of coffee to your hands. To order your own coffee or to learn more about Dignity Roasters, visit their website at DignityRoasters.com. Now here's your host,
0: Jim Tingler and John Spinn. Hey Doug, thanks for joining us here on this podcast.
3: Hey, it's great to be here, Jim. Thanks for the invite.
0: John, why don't
1: you introduce Doug? Well, Doug, it's good to have you on the podcast here this afternoon. Thank you. So how's the weather over there?
3: It's sunny but cold, so we really haven't had the snow that we normally have in the Boise area, and some of the bulbs are starting to push up, so it's starting to feel like spring.
0: Nice. So Doug Harrison works for MAF, and if you didn't put the puzzle pieces together, you're, you're over in Idaho.
3: Yes, sir. That's where we have had our home base since probably, I think, 2006. We've been in Boise after moving out of Southern California.
0: That's great. So, John, you actually met Doug. Was it been a few years ago now?
3: It
1: was September of 2019 at the Missio Nexus conference in Orlando. So seems like a longer time ago than that. Lots happened since in that last year and a half
3: sure i
0: feel like 2020 was this uh vortex of time it's confusing you, you know what day is it what month is it right so we're Groundhog trying, day. To, trying to get back on track so mm-hmm. glad to have you so we've been talking a little bit um over the past you know couple of years mm-hmm. and doug doug's talked to us about a few things and going to share a little bit about those today but john i don't know if you sure. want to Give us a little bit of a, a background with your relationship with Doug.
1: Well, I think the the thing that stands out to me about Doug is um, you know, iTech, like a lot of organizations, goes to a, a lot of different conferences and meetings and Dan Candle and I were working the booth at iTech, and Doug came along and he pulled us aside and he said, Why are you guys here at Missio Nexus? And first we're like, Well, that's interesting. Uh, that's but that's really It's a really good, uh, really good question. Forced us to think, but it also you wanted to gauge us and our motivation and why we were there and what we were hoping to gain. It was a very unique. It was mainly commercial exhibitors um, at a a conference for very you know the larger mission minded organizations, and so and that kind of led to another conversation where you know you and Dan and I you 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 talked to us about the theory of change we're going to talk a little bit about that today but um right. i think that that um i think that really set with me that trying to be intentional and strategic about even why we're at a conference and asking people why they're at a conference helps you gauge sure. you know your audience and who you're dealing with so i, I was i thought that was really a good thought provoking question
3: yeah right well i know i mean one of the things i'm passionate about is always keeping my ear to the ground and saying what it's got up to, whether it's on the foreign field, or whether it's in home office or in these gatherings at these different conferences. Uh, I'm a guy that likes to collect data. So I'm always, uh, you know, collecting these acorns from around the corner. And I'm familiar with the good work of iTech. So when you showed up at that, at that conference, and you had a booth, and the, the, as you said, the booths are mostly full of vendors, right, you know, pr- providing services or products or whatever. And I thought this is this is a mission agency. So what are they up to? And so that's why I, uh, I hope you didn't feel judged. But I certainly was asking the key question: Why? Start with the why, right? Why are you here? What's going on with ITech? Mm-hmm. So it was great. great to hear your passion and what you're up to there.
0: Sometimes it's the simple questions that can really start a mm-hmm. interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. So, right. But for those who might right. not be familiar, for maybe the. Two or three listeners out there that don't know who MAF is. <laughs> could you maybe give sure. us a little background on uh, MAF, what they do, and what your role is with the organization?
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, Mission Aviation Fellowship uh, was a ministry that started after World War II when pilots came back from using aircraft to conduct uh, the art of war. And believers said, Can't we, how might we use aircraft in order to propel the gospel? I mean, they saw how, for the first time, really, the world was being connected through air logistics. And, you know, certainly that was uh, a technology used in warfare. So the question came, how could the technology be harnessed to uh, bring gospel awareness to the remotest parts of the Earth? So a handful of World War II vet pilots got together, formed Mission Aviation Fellowship, in the early days, it was out of Southern California. Uh, and you know, for the last 75 years, uh, we've been positioning families and air aircraft. It's not just flying. We do uh, flight training schools and other sorts of things around the world as well. But we're using the platform of aviation uh, to propel the gospel to the uh, least reached parts of the world. That has uh, continued. Certainly the world has shifted a bunch, especially in the last 10 to 15, 20 years with urbanization and globalization. And, you know, there's plenty of debate about it. Is there any place still unreached? But when we looked at Matthew 28 uh, and realized that we were born out of uh, that sort of post-World War II chapter of bringing the gospel to the first time in many parts of the world, we recognized that Matthew 28 doesn't just stop with converts, if you will, using sort of a old-fashioned term that says, you know, prevailing to teach them all that I have given you. Mm -hmm. And so the maturation of the emerging church and uh, new disciples, first, second, third generation disciples continues to be a place where we can be involved in disciple making and engagement. And so MF today uh, has, well, MAF-US, and we have different MAFs around the world. There's an MAF-UK and an MAF-Netherlands and an MAF-Australia. So there's different MAFs and different country-sending entities. But uh, today, MAF-US has 50 airplanes and 100 families around the world uh, using aviation services as a platform for bringing gospel awareness to places where it's fragile, to places where it doesn't exist, the places where it continues to uh, help in maturing of the emerging church that's there and taking on the Great Commission for themselves. So uh, we've, since the days of Southern California, relocated up here near Boise, and that's where I am now. Uh, my field experience was in Central Asia, in all the former stands of uh, 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 of the Soviet Union. Uh, but what I, my role today is I'm the director of strategy and innovation, helping keep, uh, MAF's platform relevant for all the changing dynamics that are, that are affecting the world and society today. Cause it's not 1950 anymore. It's, uh, 2020 plus, you know, and, uh, what does it mean for us to use this platform that God has blessed us with, uh, to continue to help, uh, seek new disciples and support existing followers, uh, so that the church can become healthy and find its roots and its own sense of mission, uh, around the world.
0: Wow. So what does that look like for you day in, day out at MAF?
3: Yeah, for me, well, uh, I, I go to and fro carrying my bag of seed asking different vice presidents and the different, uh, ministry units in MAF, as well as our regional field uh, directors, just to encourage them to say, Hey, uh, we can work. It's easy to fly planes. That's fun to do. Right. And it's, and we love our craft. Our craft is just part of the, the, the pleasure we take in the gifts that the technical gifts that God has brought to MAF throughout the, throughout the decades. But we recognize clearly that we don't exist simply to fly planes provide aviation services so we're working on developing clear and concrete ways of evaluating our ministry to make sure that gospel presence gospel impact gospel awareness and the support of the emerging church is central to why what it means for us to accomplish our purposes
0: that's awesome i think one of the key words that stood out was the the platform using the maf platform to accomplish those things because so many do, you know, associate MAF just with aviation, but it really is uh-huh. an opportunity to do and be involved in so much more.
1: Yeah. Well, and yeah. and I think, Doug, going back to our conversation, I remember at uh, Missio Nexus, and, and, and that'll lead into our next question about the theory of change, but, you know, asking the question of, you know, if you're just a, a humanitarian group, your your focus okay, you know you talked about the objective numbers like how many hours flown, how many pounds of cargo have we hauled but in the ministry world that doesn't that doesn't translate to success mm-hmm. uh, and so how do we make sure that um, you know it's very easy to go after more tangible objective numbers things because those are
0: we like numbers. We
1: like numbers. We like something that we can we can say that these are our results. Sure. But the,
0: the ROI, return, return on, on investment.
1: investment. Yeah. And so so the so, um, at as a, in a ministry, um, you know, results may not be we, we have we have a, a, a bigger goal, a bigger you know mission and purpose. And so Absolutely. how do we kind of the questions you were asking? How do we how do we make sure that those miles flown? end up accomplishing the great commission of discipling people in these countries where we're flying aircraft, because the goal is not just to right. fly as many hours as possible or haul as much cargo as possible. Is, is that right. translating into great commission, you know, achievement?
3: Right. And we'll call that kingdom ROI. Okay. Right? Kingdom ROI. I so like that. Yeah, like that's that. fine. That's, that's fine. That's good. So, yeah. Well, like many mission agencies that were born out of the, you know, middle of the 20th century, uh, there's a curious thing going on within MAF. And I'm sure many others, I, I'm well networked to hear the same sort of stories is that God is preserving us. Uh, even though the initial value we brought to the Great Commission isn't the same in the sense that, um, after World War II, the idea there was, you know, I wasn't alive, of course, even though I am a graybeard. Uh, you know, there was a lot of specialization in North American culture. And part of the, special, the way this specialization impacted the sending aspects of the North American church is, in our instance, we'll fly the planes, you plant the church, right? So we'll just keep this sort of specialization going. And then all through the 1990s is that, you know, that great generation of, of the, uh, that went out, uh, you know, post World War Two to uh, propel the gospel to the remote part of the earth, you know, Western missionaries began to decline, globalization began to increase urbanization began to increase. And if, and if we were operating in sort of a normal commercial uh, environment, we would have expected to see MAF's request for services decline. But instead, we're having more and more requests for service than ever before but what has gone uh what has diminished is the traditional payload if you will or you know the passengers that were the western missionary uh most more and more now it's national pastors that are accepting the great the, You know, they, the national church has matured greatly in the last 50 years in most places around the world not all and there's the, 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 the local pastors are saying, how could MAF potentially work together to help us achieve the passions we have for reaching our people and bringing about gospel awareness in the Great Commission? And so it's, it's, it's caused MAF to have to shift its, its weight from maybe one foot to the other foot. Uh, we're still standing, but maybe what we used to stand on isn't as relevant today as what we feel God inviting us into the future. And we've used a tool Ah, uh, called the theory of change, which is a kind of an awkward academic name, but we've used a tool called the theory of change to help us uh, calibrate whether we're delivering the kingdom ROI that that we that we believe we're called to, in our articles of incorporation. So,
0: welcome. Go, we'll go ahead and explain what this uh, theory of change. Um, sure. Uh, yeah. Sorry sure. for
1: the listener; they won't get to see the map of these. It's, yeah. Right. 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 Pretty right. Uh, well, sophisticated, but. Um,
3: Right. So the theory of change, when I first heard about it, I thought this was a theory written by the World Bank or the United Nations or some think tank somewhere. And we had to go read it, decide if we agree with it or not. You know, what is this theory of change? But actually, if you just Google theory of change and you can go to theoryofchange.org, which is a nonprofit designed to promote the use and integration of the theory of change into nonprofits, a the theory of change is simply uh, a collection of eight or nine questions. That are arranged in a specific order that helps a nonprofit say, uh, "What are you? What is your long-term impact? What are your short-term outcomes? What are the assumptions you have that you believe that achieving your short-term outcomes will eventually result in the long-term impact?" As well as then breaking down a lot of tasks and to-dos and what they call outputs. Uh, John, you mentioned, you know. How easy it has been for us for years and years within MAF to look at our passenger miles and cargo tons, takeoff and landings that are all outputs. And when we were predominantly flying Western missionaries, people had no trouble in their minds saying, well, more activity equals more gospel. But lo and behold, with the With the tapering and and, and the reduction of the traditional number of Western missionaries that MAF was accustomed to applying, we had to shift that balance from one foot to the other, saying, okay, outputs are still important for stewardship and efficiency and and understanding what we're doing. But how we do what we do is going to be measured in outcomes. And those outcomes are all gospel-centric, and they have nothing at all to do with the the hardware you know the platform per se so you know briefly if you're going to tell a story using the theory of change you'd say you'd start with your challenge and none of these eight questions are rocket science they're not questions that I thought as I started reading about the theory of change I thought I was going to get the secret questions you know but actually they're just normal questions but when arranged in a certain order help you see things with greater clarity and understanding where your leverage is and where your challenges are. So it's a theory of change questions briefly. starts with the challenge. You know, what is the problem you're attempting to address? And we, as a Christian evangelical organization, we understand that the root issue, uh, besides many important surface issues, is people's relationship with God. The second uh, set grouping of questions is, Do you really know your beneficiaries? To what degree do the beneficiaries inform your direction and what you're doing and why you're doing it? It's very easy in the West for us to take our vast amounts of capital and credentials and create solutions that are just completely inappropriate for a recipient community. So the theory of change says, tell us about your beneficiaries and what's really going on there. Um, What are they, who are the other stakeholders that are involved? So little happens today solo in this world partnerships joint ventures collaboration is just key especially when it comes to moving things moving the needle in society if you will right we're not we're not building hard products we're trying to bring a blessing and an awareness to a recipient community and that really needs to be done through um, uh, a, a submission to the local church if it's there and not come in with our heavy handedness that is uh, well-intended, but often not helpful. Uh, we, of change asks you about your assets and resources. That's just sort of an inventory. But again, that leans back into partnerships because it's what do I have in hand and what does the, the other stakeholders have in hand and how do we mutually serve one another? Eventually then you drop into the to-do list of tasks and activities that you trust will result in certain outputs. But then, offshooting from the outputs are these outcomes. Outcomes are sort of the so what. You I know, mean, we flew a million miles. So what? How do we know those are the right miles? Oh, we did ten thousand landings. So what? How do we know those are the right, you know, the right landings, if you will? So you describe your out outcomes, and outcomes are generally understood as things that we can control. And I know, under by God's grace, there's. There's the illusion of control you know, in this world, but I'm just saying in terms of the way we communicate our objectives, the way we align our limited resources, short term outcomes are the things that we believe we can be accountable to and then doing those short term outcomes long enough, potent enough. You know frequently enough uh we believe they create a condition for the long-term impact which is new and maturing disciples of jesus christ and clearly without the holy spirit and god's hand involved in that our short-term outcomes don't won't go very far so we don't step into the realm that belongs to god but we we, we try to prepare the soil plant the seed we're fishing for the hearts and souls of, of people and uh, those are things that we believe we can be accountable to our stakeholders, our donors, and our and our partner community. So that's that's the theory of change in a nutshell. Is these eight questions, and uh, it's it's resulted in a lot of good. If you're an MAF to block things out like that.
0: So I mean, obviously, great questions to process through working in a nonprofit organization. And if somebody was interested, again, it's theoryofchange.org. They can find information on that, okay.
3: Yeah, 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 that's that's not associated with MAF in any way, but it's a group that's uh, committed to helping people use the tool of the theory of change in their own nonprofit endeavors.
0: And speaking of change, uh, what changes have you seen at MAF just processing through um, these questions?
3: Yeah, well, one of the rich blessings that has come from using the theory of change is this this piece this element that's sandwiched in between short-term outcomes and long-term impact which are called assumptions you know and uh and having people put their assumptions on the table including our partners and stakeholders you know outside of MAF has been so helpful because you suddenly hear people say oh well i'm thinking slightly differently about this than i hear you thinking about it and when we can get those assumptions on the table and work out anywhere where there's a divergence, we, we gain something that is normally lost and that's energy, you know, and none of us can add time or to our day. We all have the same number of hours in the day to work, but there are things that take energy and there are things that restore energy. And when we're able to talk about those assumptions, uh, I mean, from a utilitarian standpoint, we eliminate waste you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's kind of uncomfortable to have to sort of put your cards on the table, but none of this stuff is, is hocus pocus, or, you know, meant to put to manipulate other people. But when we've started talking about well, what's your assumption in this particular initiative, it's been so helpful for people to put that on the table up front. The other thing that's been super helpful about using theory of change, um, MAF is full of uh, strong doers. You know, it's, it's the best of the North American ethic. You know, uh, we're going to build the Panama Canal, which is brute strength and, and explosives. Whatever. I don't know if you've read the history of the Panama Canal where the old railroad interests went down there and just got her done. But um, there's a lot of hardworking, strong servant culture within MAF. And it's very easy for us to jump to tasks in our to-do lists because we want to be busy, we want to serve well, we'll give you the shirt off our back. But um, what the theory of change says is the very last thing you would speak to are your tasks and activities. I talked about them in the middle of telling the story, but unless you have your long-term impact and then your short-term outcomes that are meant to feed into the long-term impact, then all of your activities need to feed into your short-term outcomes. And many things where we would have probably just run off following what i'll describe as maybe a a a traditional narrative you know traditional narrative is we meet needs well who doesn't want to meet needs jesus meant needs right but do we actually ask the narrative of meeting needs to do things that it really wasn't intended to do and so the theory of change has said we're going to meet needs there's no question about that but with the limited resources that we have to allocate to a world that's suffering and broken We need to be careful which needs we decide God is inviting us into and which needs are left for another day. And that's hard to talk that way. But Theory of Change has brought about that kind of growth and maturity uh, within MAF.
1: Well, and one of the books, I saw you had a stack of books earlier. I don't know if it's in your your stack of books. I didn't see it. But uh, What's Best Next? Um, by Matthew Perman, a book that's kind of circulated around ITech of, and he says it's not about getting things done; it's about getting the right things done. Right. And so this this idea of, you know, asking you know the 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 danger of the do culture, which again, and it's good that you have people who are motivated yeah. and, and they want to serve and they want to serve God and they want to serve others. But sometimes we get so focused on do that we aren't asking the initial questions about, well, is this what we should be doing? Right. And so right. I think that I, I, I think that I see that in what you're saying of asking those bigger questions of rather just going out and doing something, making sure that it fits into the bigger. You know, one of the things we've been working on here is does it fall under the mission and vision of iTech, these things that we're <laughs> doing? And so um, I wanted to ask, you know, in your speaking of your stack of books. Um, Paul, uh, Paul Borthwick's book, and actually we'd like to get him on the podcast, who knows here, Um uh, but, uh, you know, this idea of the West to the rest, you, you mentioned it earlier. So, so, um, you know, there's still the role of the West in missions, but the role is changing and, and you right. alluded to that. And so if you could, you know, if you could kind of share a little bit more about that of, you know, traditionally yeah. you said MAF and, and a lot of groups, the same way. Where we think of missions, it's the the westerners um, going and doing the actual ministry. But we're all seeing that yeah. we're not the best people. You know, it's it's you know that you know people who know the language and the culture are better suited to be doing the ministry. And so, and can you talk about that? About you know how this idea of the west, the rest is dying, and we're and we're, we're there's a, still a place for the west, but it's not the same as what we once,
3: you know. Sure sure I would probably be a little uh hesitant to use you know the the, the idea of something being dead okay but, but one of the things I noticed in my time of service is um for instance it's very easy to see with our platform of aviation that one of the benefits we bring to a community is expediency we get you there faster we get you there safety save more safely we we get you know we We can hop over the mountains and, 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 you know, cross to another Island and, uh, you know, efficiency and expediency is, is part of our value proposition. Well, that's a very, very Western value proposition. Um, when we were working with some national pastors and we said, Oh, well, you know, we fly to that village. Why don't you fly with us? And they said, no, thank you. And it's like, well, don't you understand the time will save you. And, after all, time is money. I mean, these are all Western constructs of what's important and what makes a society work. And when that pastor said, well, actually, I'd like to take five days to get to that village because I'm going to bring an elder along with me and I'm going to disciple that elder uh, for the five days it takes to, to commence the wow. journey. You know, and it was just like, well, wait a minute. There's peril on that five day journey, <laughs> you know, and and and. Uh, it became really important for me to ask these broader questions of what is God up to here? Because the traditional things that the West brings into an endeavor, which are good and welcome, but no longer needed to be the focal point. Like, for instance, we bring lots of capital into an endeavor, whether it's financial capital or human capital or intellectual capital. You know, where capital and credentials are part of what uh, emerged from the West, especially post-World War II, right? Um, Look look what the Industrial Age has brought to the West, and we need to now share this or impart it to these uh, developing nations. When really, uh, we need to start asking questions. Well, what does the recipient beneficiary bring into the equation? And so often, it's much more focused on relationship. And a sense of mutual reciprocity, and I, I remember I asked uh, some very fervent, uh, God-fearing, lovely national pastors, you know, because I was going through my own maturation with this understanding and 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 complexity of these, how many, new, how often, how nuanced a lot of these things are, and I said, would it be best if we just left, you know? And he said, no, 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 and he just said actually just step up to the round table instead of the head of the table and you know we've got the the story of king arthur and knights of the round table and he you know in the story that the table's round so that no baron or knight or king or whatever would think they're at the head of the table but that all are welcome together around the table and all have something to offer that only works if it's in mutual submission to one another and there's so many things that where we we burn energy because we're focused on power as opposed to mutual submission and so for us to be cautious with I mean we bring planes into a community which are just chock full of capital you know they're they're expensive they're complicated you have to have credentials to operate them you don't fly themselves yet you know but um how do we bring that kind of capital forward in a way that is as a servanthood attitude to support what God is doing. And so we need to just be better investigators and detectives asking that question, what is God up to here? So that the weight, the societal weight of what the West brings to the table doesn't turn over the apple cart. And that's why I asked why I tech was it in a booth at, at Mission Nexus, what are you doing here? Not that you have, you know, I wasn't challenging iTech. I was asking the Lord, inform me as to what you're up to here and what might be different in terms of the future, uh, because iTech's positioning themselves in a way that's progressive and seemingly very helpful. So um, I'm an investigator at heart. I'm I'm positive about the future because, you know, I don't believe God fails to put the raw material on earth that he plans to use for what he has in mind in, in the days ahead. And uh, I think one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves is, what does a shared future look like? Mm-hmm. And uh, that, just, that just transforms the way I approach my work and the way that I engage others and encourage others along the way.
0: Yeah, and I mean, going back to the fact that you're working more with the indigenous leadership, mm-hmm. and it has to be that way.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I, you talk about my books. I want to show three books here. And please, I, I, I need all the listeners or viewers of this podcast. I'm not making a commentary on these books, the authors or the content of these books. And to be honest, I haven't read all of them. But God mm-hmm. used these three titles to help me think differently about what is going on in the world today and what does a shared future look like. So early in my training, I would read books like this. Uh, you know, cross-cultural leadership, um, which it's just—it's full of good information. We, we we aspire to be leaders that are effective and helpful in in our endeavors around the Great Commission. But then I found this other book, and please, you just—I'm not. This is not a critique on these books, but now we have a title called, you know, cross-cultural partnership. Okay, so there's sort of this paradigm shift going from. Oh, I'm at the head of the table as a leader to now I may be sitting across the table, you know, in a partnership environment. And then the last book that I, I, I keep on, on my dresser, not my dresser, but my bookshelf is Cross-Cultural Servant. And this is really helpful for me to think of the shift moving away from I'm from the West. I'm here to help you. Can't you recognize the value of all the capital I bring into this environment? You know. You, you know, not that I would say you're lucky to have us, but there's all of these built-in biases by what we how we've done things in the past. So now, if we approach something and say, in a still quiet voice, what might be God up to here? He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the roaring wind. But maybe He's in the still small voice. Mm-hmm. And those of us that are the stewards of significant amounts of capital, which includes all of us if we're in the West, mm-hmm. right? We have to be very, very cautious in how that capital can unnecessarily tilt uh, a field of ministry in a particular way. Hmm. So that's, that's what I do. All
1: right. <laughs> and
0: one more before we go past the the Paul Borthwick's yeah. book. What was the yeah. the title of that again?
3: Western uh, Paul Christians Borthwick's, and global, global Mission. yeah. Christ, yeah. Western western christians and global mission and paul does a great job the first half of the book is sort of the diagnostics of you know if you haven't seen what's going on globally uh you know here's uh, six or seven things that are different than they were before so uh he does a good job of sort of laying the groundwork for saying we need new eyes to look at these old challenges and then the second half of the book is Uh, I don't think he uses this question, but he definitely takes a middle road saying, what does a shared future look like? Because there could be a sense of, well, it's time for us to take our ball and go home. You know, the West is done. We've done our things. We have a first generation church out there. And so it's, you know, it's their time to carry it. And we actually have some good examples of where this has gone particularly well. You know, China, with the expulsion of Western missionaries decades and decades ago, You know god didn't god did not abandon his purposes in china and there grew up to be uh, a robust chinese national church that uh was formed without significant participation from the west you know but on the other hand we don't want to swing uh or kind of i guess taking our ball and going home if you will is is the big swing right but if it's like let's just keep doing what we've always done you know let's do Let's continue to do what we've always done best. You know that has a certain logic to it. Let's do what we do best. You know we talk about that all the time when companies or organizations need to sort of recalibrate. But we do need to even go deeper than that and say, is the best from the past really what God is inviting us to mm-hmm. consider as we continue to serve into the future? It may look very, very different. So, and I keep going back to my friend that was uh, the national. Pastor that said, please don't leave. We we want you to be a welcome member of the family, but not the center of attention. And isn't that what good parenting about? Right? right. You know, we want all of our children to know that they are a welcome member of the family. Things get out of balance when one particular child perhaps becomes the center of attention. Right. And we don't need to digress into parenting here, but. Another,
1: yeah. another podcast for another day, huh? <laughs> another podcast. Well, for that, another time. that
0: actually transitions into our, our next question in that. Yeah how do these things we're, we're discussing affect young people, the millennials, Gen Z and yeah, uh, sure. their involvement in mission? Sure. And, and, well, so,
1: and before you even answer, yeah. just some of the things that you've talked about your organization of, you know, different age category, you know, you coming out of world war two, you know, even I tech, you know, most, a lot of the people that initially followed yeah. the St. Family story, you know, you know, in 1956, that's a certain generation, but yeah. you know, so I mean, just if you could talk about some of those things you shared about um even talked about how the theory of change like donors and, and their level mm-hmm. of accountability that they their expectations is different um now than what it was so
3: ask me an easy question would you sorry <laughs>
0: i tried to make it simple john sorry. he kept that in layers
3: <laughs> first of all uh i hold that conviction and i shared it earlier that God never fails to put on earth the raw material for what he plans to do and use into the future. So uh, it's been difficult in MAF, just like in most of the other ministries I've, I've networked my way around in. The generational differences, I'm not sure why they're so polarized and why it becomes a place of of energy lost instead of a multiplier effect, we seem to have some a lot of diminishment that goes on, especially when we want the emerging generation, the younger ones, to come in and to pick up the mantle and run it just the way we run it. Now, there's there's no I mean I I can unpack a lot of the things that we think are are underway within MAF that may not be true in your ministry or other ministries. Aviation is a strongly seniority-driven trade. Not just in mission aviation or Christian ministry, but aviators wait their turn and pay their dues and work their way up the food chain. And pretty soon they're at the high level of seniority and they get to pick you know, what flights they're going to go on or what routes they're going to support within their airline. So that strong seniority driven culture in MEF has been a difficult for us to navigate because the emerging generations, they've gone to school where cooperative learning was a big thing and it, it wasn't about the teacher knows everything and the student knows nothing and those kind of legacy models. And so we've got the the, the, the millennials, and the Gen Zers, and the alphas that are that are used to a much different uh, participatory culture than what I grew up with in, in my day and age. And you know, half of what you have to become convinced about is that God isn't going to keep everything the same. His truth remains the same, but how he brings that truth, to life may be very, very different than what was uh, best and most needed in 1960 or 1980 or 1990. And so I guess I, I I just have to speak at a personal level and maybe this will touch some of your listeners in one way or another. I had a mentor earlier on my life who, when I was starting to worry about money as a young man, he talked about his investments that he had all over the world that he expected to bear fruit deep into the future. It took me a few minutes to realize he wasn't talking about money. He was talking about people and the affect and the investment he was making in discipling and investing in the lives of those much younger than him. He just said, at the end, I want to be in heaven and look down and see those investments are still bearing fruit so i'm sitting here going wow i will not allow my identity to become tied to my contributions of the past i feel god's pleasure in those contributions but what i'm starting to do now is pivot and say what is the investments i need to make in those that are coming after me so that when i'm beyond the pearly gates and looking down I can say that's what God was up to. That's what he's doing. Look what he was doing with Bill or Sally or Ahmed or Freshda or whatever culture we're in, right? And um, there's, there's a certain delight in that. And, I mean, this is no different than what John the Baptist went through. John the Baptist was provoked several times to sort of hold his own. And he had replies like, Jesus must increase, I must decrease, right? Hey, haven't you heard that some of your followers are now moving over and following Jesus? John the Baptist, his identity wasn't tied uh, so specifically to his contribution that he couldn't say, no, this is right. This needs to happen. So relinquishment, much like Jesus did in the garden, is an important discipline, I think, for someone my age to say, it has been good. It is good. It will be good. It will be different. And, you know, Jesus did not want to go to the cross. He's just said, if this cup can pass from me, I want that to be true. So, in, you know, it's I'm just, I feel kind of shameful paralleling that sacrifice to the measly, pitiful sacrifice of my career or my, uh, my legacy and those kinds of things. But relinquishment still is so important for those that are older and capable of mentoring and bringing others along to say, it's been great, it will be great, and what does a shared future look like? How can I encourage the emerging generation? You know that there's all the data says they're looking for relationship, right? I mean, it's like, as opposed to just a list of accomplishments in your belt, you know, I flew a billion hours and did 10,000 flight operations or whatever it is, you know, it's like they want to work in the tapestry of relationships, which is exactly what the emerging church wants in the church, in the world today, they want to work with relationships, not by just executing a, a, an operational plan and, and bringing in you know particular kinds of technology. I mean, one of the things I especially love, and I think I'm rambling here a bit so you can cut me off, but I love how iTech really focuses on what we call appropriate technology. It may not be the most fancy or technologically advanced or latest and greatest off the shelf, But what technology can we introduce that acts like a multiplier and net positive and it doesn't disrupt a receiving culture in a way where they don't know what to do with it or it spoils relationships along the way? So uh, those of us that are technology folks, that's just a super important question for us to ask. What does appropriate technology look like as we lean into the future and share the gifts and the passion that God has given us? Where would you like me to sharpen that? Or did I ramble into too many questions? No, I,
0: I think you shared um, <laughs> right from the heart. I, I just, yeah. again, those those people that are looking at these giants in the, in the mission world like an MAF, and the, that next generation say, what role do I play in
3: something yeah. like that? Right. Well, disciple-making. And, you know, I guess there's a question. If you haven't been discipled, then what would it take for you to experience being discipled uh, i mean i'm still being discipled at age 60 so i want to i want to grow until the day i die so that when i look at jesus i recognize him oh you're the man and you're the, you're my savior who is working in my life right so i would encourage young people to uh, find somebody that they can trust that can take them through a discipleship experience and that does not mean the 10 steps to christian maturity it means where do you feel that like god is inviting you to what do you what is god inviting you to explore to repent of to mature in uh, you know discipleship is a lifelong experience because if you're not first a disciple it will be very hard to be a disciple maker and uh We work hard to not put these things in really tight boxes, you know, that any of us can say it. You know, I've arrived. Well, I'm more mature than I was yesterday. I look forward to tomorrow being the place where I continue to be more mature than today. So finding somebody that you can be discipled by, and you don't have to put expectations on that discipler to be the end all. Mm -hmm. They may teach you part of God that will be assembled with other things that you learn about God at different stages of your life so um i guess i want to be a little bit cautious and say any discipleship is better than no discipleship yeah you know that's that's a little loose you know <laughs> but i would say um no discipleship leaves you in a pretty pretty dangerous place of not being engaged and not being in in a place where you can respond to the relationship that god is is asking you to be involved in um clearly read, read the word of god uh, you know, maybe we've read it through Western eyes for too long, um, but I don't think the solution is, um, you know, all gods lead to the same destination. Now, the pluralism that's alive today is not true. Um, perhaps uh, the way I need to walk with humility in my understanding of Scripture and my use of Scripture uh, might invite me to think differently than maybe my grandparents did, you know. But again, we're not calling in one generation good and another generation bad. We're saying, how do we, how do we enculturate and saturate ourselves in God's word, be situationally aware of what's going on, honor the value of the relationships that he's giving us, but allowing things to go deep into our heart and draw us to the next level. Um, whether it's moving away from things that are unhelpful or moving towards things that are helpful, both are phases of disciple.
0: Being a disciple that are important. Yeah, amen. Well, I think it's about that time, John.
1: We're out of questions, Jim. We only had four. <laughs> so. Yeah, just
0: Doug, one of the things that as you're talking through that, I've, I've learned in my own personal life that, you know, there's God brings in uh, people to disciple us through seasons. He also uses the circumstances, He uses the word of God, you know, life circumstances we encounter. John Eldridge yeah. talks about this in his book, Fathered by God, in mm-hmm. that the ultimate, you know, Father is God the Father, and he is steering and guiding us into these circumstances. And mm-hmm. we have to look for it though. Those those people that you mentioned to be discipled. And then also the opportunity for us to disciple others. So that yeah.
3: can I can I give a, a brief pitch message to you? Mentioned that I have books here. Oh, yeah. Uh, jo- Jolene Erlacher, I don't know if you know this this, this author. She's written two, two books, uh, Millennials in Ministry, as well as The Daniel Generation. And Jolene Erlacher is somebody worth spending time with. She She's the best of both worlds. She starts with data. She looks at what's real. She's not not afraid of the current status of things, if you will. But then she brings discernment along. And, and understanding and true knowledge to say, all right, what is going on that we might need to adjust to those of us that currently, you know, are senior in our organizations. And Jolene Airlockers' work in this area of integrating millennials and Zs and alphas into ministry is super, super vital and, and needed. Because that's what, you know, one of the things I want to do is be able to say, I've passed the baton to the next generation, right? Uh, their pace may be different. They may hold it in their right hand instead of the left hand and you know, all that kind of stuff. But Jillian Airlocker has done a great deal of helping me look at things through new eyes and, and with greater understanding. So I just want to pitch some of her words. That's work great,
0: to you. man. Somebody listening today, I guess we'll have to put the links in the show notes below. You okay. know, I think there's been about six or seven books we've talked about.
1: And we don't, uh-huh. have, we don't have a bookstore. No. To sell them oh. from. So don't worry. We're not
0: trying to. John, did you have any other books you need to recommend? No. Okay. I've, I've
1: already said what's best next. So oh, there, I've, I've kind of
0: reached my right limit maybe for the day. Okay. Of course we we always recommend the Bible. There's Amen. There's the foundation. So Let's start with that. For yeah. sure.
3: That's been really fun, John and Jim. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of your conversation.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on our show. Hopefully one of these days we can get out to Boise. And uh mm-hmm.
0: That's it. Yeah. Doug, thank you so much. And we just, again, an opportunity for somebody to sit down and conversate with somebody that's working in great commission work like MAF. And thank Mm -hmm. you for just sharing a little bit of your heart. I often think that people, when they have this idea of MAF, it's, it's I'm a pilot, but there's so much that plays a role into the the entire organization and people that are feeling called to work in mission different different areas it it's not necessarily going to fit a a box that maybe you've heard of uh, as far as something that's maybe your church is supported um maybe this idea like a pilot for mission aviation fellowship but that's the challenge we want to bring to our listeners is outside the box thinking and carrying out Mm -hmm. christ's great commission so thank you for challenging our listeners to do that today
3: Right on. I would be glad to be a part of any future coffee conversations in the future with your listeners or yourself. Thank you. Thanks, Doug. All right, Doug. Thank you.
2: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Mission Minded. For more information on today's topic and show notes, please visit our website, itechusa.org. Mission Minded Podcast is produced by iTech. The goal of this podcast is to inspire conversations about Great Commission participation. The views, organizations, and individuals represented, interviewed, and discussed on the podcast do
3: not necessarily represent an official position or formal partnerships with ITEC.